Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, mid-November edition. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and it's been a while. We understand life schedules have been busy, but uh, just this past weekend, as I was in Toronto enjoying a lovely anniversary with my wife, uh, we're enjoying a romantic dinner, and over my shoulder, or over her, my wife's shoulder, I can see the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Los Angeles Rams. And I could just think of how Mickey was enjoying herself last weekend. So, Mickey, I hope you're well. Are you still smiling, and are you still in a good mood because of last weekend? I'm in a good mood. And I think to really show you just how good of a mood that I am in, I woke up that bright and sunny Monday morning the day after the Steelers won um, and decided that I should probably go get a new dog so I could name it Minka. <laughs> now for listeners this no. is yeah, yeah this is not minka uh after minka was it kelly who was on uh uh friday night lights or anything like that. this is minka fitzpatrick the uh the cornerback who you guys got from miami dolphins who's had like what i believe 80 bazillion interceptions since the trade Correct. i think that i think the actual stat on that is 80 bazillion mm-hmm. he literally has gotten more interceptions than any Steeler has since troy palomalo during the 2008 season when we had that epic defense. So, yep. I mean, this kid, I mean, Minka is amazing. And he seems to be somewhat of like a missing piece for us. There was a lot, you know, that we put on with Devin Bush. We love him. We love TJ Watt. But, and, and to be completely frank, um, Hilton's done a great job as well. Uh, and they've just kind of stepped up. But when we put in Minka, who, you know, him in and of itself, okay, for non-Steelers fans, non-NFL fans, it's kind of a, a funny story as far as how the Steelers ended up with him. Because what I realized after we made that trade with the Dolphins is that <laughs> poor Terrell Edmonds, um, who was actually who we ended up getting that year in the draft, apparently was like when you're, you know, drafting in fantasy football and you have your eye on a certain player and you think you're going to get him. And then the person before you takes them and you just say, oh, shit, who's next? And you grab someone by the name. I think that's how we got Terrell Edmonds. Because when we got got Minka, it was 100% clear that he was who we were going after in that draft. And we were so happy. And honestly, like as a Steeler fan at the time when they said, you know, we're going to trade a first-round draft pick. You know what I said. I said, we're not very good at picking first-round draft picks. Anyway, I don't care. Knock yourself out. They're a 50-50 <laughs> shot. Yeah. And I'm good with taking Minka. This is who we want. And I'll tell you what, worth it, worth it, worth it, worth everything. Yeah. He's very awesome. Few, I love yeah. him. The, the odds of getting a, a so player. Does that answer your, like, how happy yeah. are you question? Yes, it does. I would say the odds of getting a player who will be a good shutdown corner uh, getting a whole bunch of interceptions with that first round pick, you know they're Absolutely. not great. Every in any given and, and year, the he's first round picks. Um, all the joy is on your side uh, of the of the uh, the football aisle, uh, Mickey. In a season that you and I said was made for us, because mm-hmm. the Jets Steelers play for each other and the Jets have Le'Veon Bell. I should be in a good mood. The Jets beat the Giants. Um, I have some in laws that I can you know rib a little bit about this for the next uh, couple of years. Not a pickly pretty. As you game. know, I have mostly Giants fans in my world, other than you know Steelers mm-hmm. fans. So you, you should remind them right that now. they lost to the Jets. <laughs> they are shamed. Uh, but no, <laughs> moments before we started to to tape today, word came out that New York Jets owner Christopher Johnson, the brother of Woody Johnson, currently the U.S. ambassador over to the U.K., 
has announced that not only is Adam Gase not getting fired at any point during this season, and let's keep in mind the Jets are two and seven. The year has been a full colossal disappointment. There's been, I believe, they have roughly they're averaging about one touchdown per game. Uh, no running game. The uh, I, I, th- I think earlier in this season we had lamented the offensive line, and somebody had said, "Oh, you know, they're they're playing like mm-hmm. a pile of a pile of of droppings." I was like, no, people try to avoid a pile of droppings. They try to they step around them, which takes longer. You know, they don't run through piles of droppings. Um, right. And so, yeah, but Christopher Johnson has announced not only is Gase secure for the rest of the year. And look, we're now nine games into the season. It doesn't really matter who you, you know, whether you fire the coach now. Um, but he's secure for 2020. I'm sorry. No, Mickey, have you ever heard of an owner? giving this kind of a seal of approval and vote of confidence to a coach who is two and seven and who, oh, by the way, was a, you know, mediocre at best in his previous stint with the Dolphins. I, I've never seen an owner say, do we, we have know why conf- your owners are so like confident and supportive of this guy? The like, does only- he have something on them or something? I, that's yeah. Look, blackmail makes sense. Um, embarrassing pictures <laughs> make sense. <laughs> like, aside from the joke, like for a long time, Christopher, the Johnsons are the guys, the guys who own Johnson and Johnson. Every time you use a Q-tip, they make a nickel or something like that. Um, and so they're, they're not football guys. They, you know, took over from Leon Hess. And for a long time, I was like, oh, no, I, I wouldn't want a Jerry Jones. Right. This guy who's a micromanager and larger than life personality who generates his own uh uh, uh you know, headlines and all that stuff. I wouldn't want a Daniel Snyder, uh, a guy who, you know, believes he's playing fantasy football. I was fine with a almost absentee owner, right, who really wasn't paying attention. You appoint a general manager, general manager hires the coach, and you just hope for the best and you don't meddle. Well, now I hate the Johnsons, and I really don't want to be in this position. But the only explanation is, well, we picked this guy. If we fire him after less than a season or a season, we're going to look stupid. Guess what? You're two and seven. You already look stupid, right? That's That option is no longer there. The question is, do you stick with a bad choice out of stubbornness, out of a desperate hope that at some point Adam Gase is somehow going to suddenly become a better coach? Or do you say, you know what? We made a bad choice. We should, you know, look, is he the only reason this team is bad? No, but he, you know, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be an offensive genius. He's supposed to be an offense, uh, a quarterback whisperer. Darnold is not getting better and maybe even has regressed. You know, it's time to, to start over again. And there's this steadfast refusal. And the other thing I'm curious about, I want to ask you about, Mickey. Mm-hmm. I know that you, know, you guys have a much more stable <laughs> coaching situation. Have you? What is the mood of Steelers fans towards the correspondence on the Steelers beat, um, for the newspapers and such? Well, it's, you know, we both Steeler Nation and and the beat, the Steelers sports writers, don't always agree. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, and certainly, you know, there's there's fights that go on back and forth, certainly about the coach and about other things, but. Generally speaking, we're not usually, let me put this way, sane people aren't calling for Mike Tomlin's head um, on a regular basis. There was a period in time where sane people were calling for Cowher's head during the late 90s. Um, you know, people forget that now, but there was a period in time where it it really was a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um and right now, I think that anyone that would call for Tomlin said there are people that get frustrated with his style and his development. And I think mm-hmm. that that's been fair over the last several years. 
Um, there's been some, but there's also been some things that you just can't control. And the loss of Ryan Shazier was more impactful in many different directions. I think, um, you know, we, people forget about Jason worlds, but we had offered him a contract at one point and he literally just walked away to go start a missionary type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot of random things happen, um, that you quite frankly just can't control. And what I do believe is that if we go on to have a winning season this year, starting out at one and four, I do believe he has and should be a consideration for coach of the year, which is something yeah. I would not have said in previous seasons. Yeah. I, say, I, I think I, I've seen the argument and it seems pretty plausible. Uh, sometimes the measure of a coach is not, you know, did they have the best year? It's what did they do with the players they had? I and mean, they're losing mm-hmm. Roethlisberger and all the injuries they've had. You know, the fact that you guys are still in it as we head into mid-November, uh, that's probably that. This may be Tomlin's best jo- best job as a coach. Uh, I'm getting stunned. Out of players. As a Steelers fan, I am stunned and pleasantly surprised to find us where we are. Like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but like. I would definitely believe, and like I said, I would not have suggested this in previous years, but I think this year Tomlin has has definitely earned his paycheck, so to speak. The reason I ask that is that for the last, it's pretty, you know, as soon as the Jets start out 0-4, I and lots of other Jets fans are like, well, we were really not on board with Adam Gase when he was hired, but we were willing to give him the the benefit of the doubt. We wanted to see him succeed. He is not succeeding Yes, Darnold got mono and their injuries and all that kind of, but every team is dealing with injuries. Every team deal, you know, there, there was no indication that he was gal- getting the most out of the talent of the players he had. Uh, play calling was boring and predictable. Um, all kinds of problems, you know, that, that Gase was every bit, you know, to, to quote the great Dennis Green, he is who we thought he was. Yes. We let him off the hook, right? So the Jet fans are just ready to see Gase go, and the beat writers were, were much more defensive of Gase, much more like, well, you can't, you know, and it's it's a weird how there's been no outright defense of saying Adam Gase is being a good coach this year. It's always, well, there are a lot of injuries and all well, the schedule was a lot tougher. And, you know, look, Greg Williams is taking so guys. So it just sounds like a lot of excuses, basically. I was like, Greg Williams, our defensive coordinator, the guy who took over for the Browns mid-year last year, um, is getting the Jets defense to play okay. Not terrific. Um, they look great against Saquon Barkley. had like 13 rushes for one yard last week. Um, nobody's going to mm-hmm. say that's defense is world beaters, but you talk about maximizing what you're getting out of the talent of your players. Most of the jets, te- you know, defense right, is a bunch you're of You're not games. always going to have your all pros there. So again, considering how Greg Williams did this just last year and you know, the Browns played a lot better with Williams as the head coach in the second half of that year. You know, my attitude was like, you know what? Ditch Gase, put Williams in charge and just, you know, have, we have Jim Bob Cooter, uh, fantastic name. Uh, the, <laughs> is the, uh, former offensive coordinator for the Lions. He certainly seems to be a more cre- creative play caller. And I was like, you know what? Admit you made a mistake. Rip off the Band-Aid. Johnson & Johnson joke. And, uh, you know, just just you know, don't extend a bad decision. Acknowledge it's a bad decision and prepare to move on. And the Johnson, Christopher Johnson appears adamant to not do this. And while, you know, our player is going to come back, yes. Is Joe Douglas probably going to draft a little better next? Sure. But you're... It's just I've never seen a fran- an ownership so adamantly opposed to like almost like deliberately antagonizing a fan base. Um, and of course, you know, Mickey, you and I, you know, I live in Washington and you live not that far in, in Richmond where the Washington Redskins uh, uh, do their practices in the, in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I, I was listening to sports radio this morning. And they said the opposite of hate is not the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. 
Correct. And when, you're, when your ownership keeps screwing you over, over and over again, you don't hate the team. You start to feel indifferent to it. And that's, you know. But again, as a Steelers mm. fan, it's all theoretical to you. <laughs> right. I mean, no, like, I hear you. It's been, I mean, it was not an easy start to the season. You might recall during one of our earlier T-Gems episodes that you and I declared the NFL season over. Yes, it did. It did not start. We did not want to. We were in denial. Yes, I told you, you know, first stage of grief was a denial and I was full on in it um, for a long time. But again, with the Steelers starting out one and four, trust me when I say I felt you. Um, and I thought this is not going to be the year. And now, you know, while I still don't think this is necessarily a Super Bowl bound team, I am incredibly impressed with the way that they have recovered and performed. You can at least enjoy a season where everything's working against you and you, you watch your team fight back over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. When you see that the ownership and management makes so many uh, bad decisions, you're, you're beating yourselves, you're you're killing yourself, uh, Mickey. And, you know. Nobody wants to do that. It's it's like the opposite of Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> How's that for a transition? Oh, wow. Okay, so, Jim, I guess the best way to explain this to our listeners and to discuss it is, I guess everybody at this point knows about the viral video that was caught um, during, I believe it was during, was it during Jesse Waters' show? Probably. Yeah. On, on Fox News, you mean? Mickey? Yes. Sorry yes. about that. A little technical difficulty on my side. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I believe Jesse Waters, weekend host on Fox News Channel, correct? Mm, Mickey? <laughs> I think it was on the Jesse Waters show. That is correct. Yes. So what was that? So was it the was it the guest who said it out of the blue? Yes, it was a guest who was on, and he was actually talking about um, their like Belgian Malinois or something like that. The the dog that was used um, in the oh yes, the raid for Al Baghdadi. Yes, of ISIS, the raid yes. exactly. Um, and so he's talking about how these dogs in particular, you know, don't make great house pets. And, you know, a lot of times when dogs end up in the news, they, you know, often then become a very popular breed. And he wanted people to understand that this was a breed that was not that type of dog. Instead, he felt like they should be aware that if they wanted this type of dog, they should get one that's already trained or get Mm -hmm. one with the idea that they were going to have it professionally trained. And he kind of gave this whole PSA and said, you know, if you're not going to have it trained or have it professionally trained, it would be really better if you just don't get one of these dogs at all. And Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. (laughs) And that, of course, has turned into this, you know, rallying cry for those who for those who don't know, Jeffrey Epstein was that notorious uh, underage prostitution ring running uh, alleged billionaire operating down in South Florida. Um, died in prison and you know much like your christmas lights they're not going to hang themselves either uh, <laughs> you know, many people is, is find a lot of people have said yeah. now i need to tell you that this is kind of taken on a life of its own because it, the guy doing this was just mind-blowing right mm-hmm. it's kind of been obviously something that people have discussed among their friends since it happened because it's just one of those 
conspiratorial theories that is so damn close to what we believe could be possible that everyone's ready to buy in. We're good. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's the set of circumstances where the camera was off, the guard was sleeping. Uh, like, to dispel the conspiracy theory, you would just need one thing to go right. And everything right? has gone wrong. And, you know, the, the, obviously the, there are quite a few clients, quite a few very powerful people who are allegedly clients of Epstein's underage prostitution services. Presumably a lot of people who'd be embarrassed if he talked. Um, you know, the, the idea that, that, that lots of people had motivation to want to see him dead. And then all of a sudden one day he dies. <laughs> In circumstances he like just magically that. dies. Yeah. And I think that, yes, I think there are a lot of people who believe it. I've also noticed that people are starting to spell it out in stores. One of our friends, Amelia Hamilton, I don't know if you saw, but she had been visiting Michael's recently, took some letters and spelled it out for an upcoming, you know, other shopper to see. And I, I most recently, um, you know, I've seen it show up in blogs where, and specifically on Twitter and on Facebook posts, where people will write something long and thoughtful and meaningful on the last sentence will be, and yes. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. And, you know, the, the uh, ABC anchor who had, you know, been caught with the on, on camera saying, look, we had this story and my bosses shut it down. And all, like, look, there, we, we've been through this with the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Right. Mm -hmm. The idea of a very powerful guy being involved in all kinds of forms of sexually predatory behavior and, and uh, uh, even, you know, potentially illegal behavior, even rape. And the idea that because of wealth and power, they're protected from the legal consequences of their actions. Look, we've just been through this and mm -hmm. we went through, every, you know, everybody in Hollywood who they'd heard the stories. And, you know, was it Ron Perlman who told that story, told the story about how bravely he had peed on his hand and then shook Weinstein? And yes, uh, you know, like, what? Well, that's way better than calling the cops. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Again, Is there any plan I, that doesn't involve peeing on yourself that you could uh, you also could have used in this situation? But, uh, or, you know, even in, in the event that you don't feel like it warrants calling the cops, you know, call him out to his face. Yeah. You know, the uh, if nothing, like, you know, there, there's not a lot of people who showed up with any sense of uh, uh, cover themselves in glory and all this other than the, the victims who had the courage to speak out. One of the things, yes. And one of the things I think that was probably the most fascinating to me as far as, you know, we don't discuss politics on this show, but one of the few people to release a statement disavowing any knowledge of Epstein was, of course, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Most people didn't have to put out a statement saying, I don't know him. Yeah. Um, and again, flew on the plane a bunch of times. I, yeah, but, well, you know, nothing, nothing to see here kind of thing. However, we, hmm? what happened last week killed me, Jim. I was watching Evil which is a poorly titled show that is actually not bad. Um, I wouldn't call it a great show yet, but it's just in the beginning, but it's good enough. It's fairly well written. I like it. Let's put it that way. I've been amused with it so far. It's a little mixture of like fantasy, paranormal, a uh, little bit of Catholicism going on with the whole bit of it. It's, it's interesting. Anyway, the show is called Evil. And their job is to go and basically investigate things that could be miracles or they could be hoaxes. And their job is to kind of figure out which that is. See why it's poorly named? Anyway. The trailer had seemed kind of interesting. And yeah, then when you yeah. say, you know, Tuesdays at 8, evil. I was like, yeah. yeah. The, no. the name does it no favors. Let's just say that. If I were them, I'd pull up the name and call it something else and people would watch it. Um, because, again, it doesn't really tell you what the show is at all. 
But anyway, um, neither here nor there. They are investigating a woman who is a believed prophetess. Several of the things that she has said were going to happen, happen. So they want to go find out if she's real or not. And so she's like, ask me what you want me to know, want to know, ask me anything. And they're asking her, you know, the normal random questions. Um, and she's like, no, ask me what you really want me to know, want to know. And he, one of the characters looks at her and says, who killed, did Jeffrey Epstein kill himself? And he said, she said, no. He then asked her, how did it happen? She said, a pillow. He said, why? And she said, because he had a lot of information on a lot of powerful men. Wow. That, that's I was pretty... like, holy cow. Hey, so, about... again, they went on yeah. to other questions after that. But, like, one, that's pretty on point, right? Yeah. And exceptionally timely. But also one of those things that you have to believe that other people like myself, when they, I heard it, I laughed out loud. Yeah, and, you know, to the extent CBS crime drama, primetime crime drama, still have an audience, a chunk of that audience who's probably heard only, you know, next to nothing about Epstein, right, who are completely oblivious to the news and certainly aren't on the internet and hearing these kinds of conspiracy theories that we are and seeing it turn into a meme and all that kind of stuff, that's going to get grandma <laughs> to notice that, right? You know, people who are not attuned to everything else will notice it. Right. There. Well, and, and again, it was one of those things that it caught me by surprise because it was so blatant, obviously. Mm. Um, and it was so funny to me because it's, yeah, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's a suicide. A man died. Is it so funny? Yes. You know who that man was, right? Yeah. First of all, yeah, it, it's again, it's not like you can feel bad about it. Uh, the death of Jeffrey Epstein, you can know, um, the, the tragedy is the idea that clearly it is likely he knew about many crimes by many people and died before he was, you know, could be persuaded to spill his guts. Um, but, but, you know, again, and also like what, what we kind of chuckle about it is how this everything lines up perfectly with the sort of thing you'd find in a, a thriller novel of, you know, somebody killing someone to prevent them from you know exposing some even bigger scandal. Um, and oh, by the way, like yeah, we mentioned the Clintons, uh, I believe <laughs> um, uh, Alan Dershowitz was one of the people who's been accused of being a client. Uh, he has vehemently denied it for any litigious instincts he may have. Uh, you know, again. We're in a situation where a whole bunch of powerful people have these kinds of, of allegations. Um, Prince Andrew was on the list, if I recall. Right? And that was what kept ABC from uh, pushing it, allegedly. That, that ABC had wanted to get their, you know, you know, interview with the prince and princess, you know, primetime special. Oh, is that what it was? That was allegedly one of the factors that... Uh, you know what? It, that actually makes perfect sense. And also, while we're on that topic, I'm kind of over them. Yeah, I, I there there's an argument over in the UK where somebody once said, you know, when back with the it was after Princess died, there were polling indications that people wanted to uh, get rid of the monarchy, and I think it was somebody said, well, if we got rid of the monarchy, what would we have to talk about? Um, and maybe this mm. monarchy now you know exists to you know, to provide the British people something to talk about. We in the United States don't need that. We have Kanye and Kim. And <laughs> So I, I've That's never true. quite understood the fascination with the world. Now, if I was ever invited to Buckingham, we we toured, uh, not Buckingham. What's the other uh, Windsor Castle? Windsor, Windsor, yeah. You know, like you know, like I don't hate them. I just don't find them all that fascinating. Well, but part of the point is, I you know, I wouldn't consider myself a quote unquote royal watcher because those people are like obsessed. 
Um, however, you know, I pay attention when big things are happening in the family, when the weddings are going on. Certainly that was fantastic and fun to watch, things of that nature. That's about as far as I usually pay attention. However, for someone who wants nothing to do with the media, right? This is, mm-hmm. this is Prince Harry's story. Leave my wife and I alone, except for all of the times we're chasing you to cover us doing all these things that we think are good. Like they spend more time yeah. on TV being interviewed about how much they hate the media than anyone I've ever seen. Say, so look, I, I, you know, I think Princess Di, you know, struggled with this and then kind of figured out, well, if the whole world is going to if the world's cameras are going to follow me wherever I go, then I'm going to meet with refugees and victims of landmines. And, and I'm going to make the world pay attention to issues that I feel have been ignored. And that's probably but that's the best. a different approach than yeah. what we're seeing from. Yeah. The but also, I'd say Duke again, if, if, of Sussex. Yeah. if you live the life of a British royal, I think a little bit of an invasion of privacy is part of the pro- You live in wealth for free. <laughs> you know? like, You're I an actual is, freaking you know. prince. Yeah. Like, if you, like, the best line from that little interview that Markle had, sorry, excuse me, Duchess of Sussex had was when the guy said, you know, are you okay? And she looked at him with big doe eyes, like she's not a real actress, with big doe eyes and said, thank you for asking. I don't think I am okay. And I was like, you're a goddamn princess. Shut up. Oh, my God. Like, these people. Seriously, like, you don't get to play victim because you are an actual princess. You married into the actual royal family. And if, if Will or Harry had said, you know what, there are days I wish I was living a normal life somewhere uh, and not living in a fishbowl and not having every youthful screw up I made, you know, uh, hashed out in the tabloids. I, I suppose I could understand, you know, we, the grass is always greener and all that kind of stuff. But the princess, I mean, they married, they they chose to marry into this. I, I, I think, you know, you, you got to know what you're getting into. Um, and, you know, you're, it's literally a fairy tale, a fairy tale. You're going to be a princess. You're going to have a lot of wonderful, your, your children will um, have a blessed life in many, many different ways. The offset is going to be the media is going to talk about you. There's probably going to be a lot of salacious gossip. A lot of it's not going to be true. Like, right. Comes with the territory. Yes. You know, like. But but doesn't it irritate you when they whine about it? Yeah. I, again, I, I think um, Vic, the victimhood card is really insufferable from a lot of people. I, I think mm-hmm. from British royals, maybe at the absolute top of the list of, uh, uh, of all that kind of stuff. And again, the thing that they need to keep in mind, Mickey, is that Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> so very, very. We're, we're going to come back to that over and over again this entire show. <laughs> You've been warned. Um, so speaking of our, other of our American quasi-royalty, so is John Legend the sexiest man alive, Mickey? No. Okay. Didn't and think I came so. to that conclusion relatively quickly because he's just not attractive. Like, he's Ooh, very talented. Oh, my God. He's epically talented. But they couldn't even make him look like hot for the covers he still looks kind of weird and so yeah no like he is not the sexiest man alive and i feel like once again like you want to say you know is he the most talented is he i don't know he he certainly is quite talented man and that's great but sexiest no Uh, you you, by the way like again 
you can be a perfectly swell guy, and this is obviously going to be very subjective. Has Chrissy Teigen weighed in on this yet? Oh, of course. Okay. She and, found out last night and can barely hold her shit together before she was allowed to talk about it. Because she was like, okay. I have a secret. I have a secret all over <laughs> Twitter. And, and I assume um, she's and proud then, and, and, and concurs yeah. with the judgment or, and, or kind well, of like, then, yeah, you're, you're top five. Um, like, then, uh, of course, immediately once it's announced, she goes to back to being her normal self. And if you'll notice on her uh, Twitter bio, she has changed it out to say woman who is currently sleeping with the sexiest man alive. Um, which I thought was hilarious. And then she also tweeted out that the sexiest man alive was making her a sandwich. Oh, there's bragging rights right there. That's exactly. And there's the Chrissy Teigen we love. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was like, the sexiest man alive is making me a sandwich. Whatever else you want to say about the pair, I, I do find um, the intermittent glimpses we get of the John Legend Chrissy Teigen marriage absolutely fascinating. Probably the my all time favorite being her furious rant the day he took the phone charger. Oh my god! And we got like eighteen all caps. Yes, I get these things and I leave them around so you can steal them, John Legend. You know, yes, clearly exactly. he couldn't find his charger. He needed one. Left the house. She did not have her charger when she needed, and it was just this thermonuclear reaction. Yes, and I believe she either threatened to or did purchase some sort of very uh, girly-looking My Little Pony uh, phone charger. Wire, yes, I wire. she actually did purchase it. And this is the sort of thing that happens, I suspect, in every marriage across the country. And it shows that, you know, wealth and fame and all kinds of doesn't really shape you. You can be married to the sexiest man alive. And some mornings he's just going to take your phone charger and you're going to be sitting there furious at him. <laughs> all of his sexiness aside. You're going uh, to be livid about it. Yeah. And like I said, I appreciated Chrissy's reaction to it because it was right on point and on brand for her. That is seemingly who she is. I find their relation to be relationship to be very refreshing. Um, to me, they're very similar to Kim and Kanye in that respect is that, you know, there are flashes where you see that their relationship is very, very real. Um, you know, beyond what we see, whether it be through reality specials or in the case of Tegan and Legend, like they have little holiday specials. I told you, I think last year at part of yes. Tea Jams, we talked about that and I enjoyed it so much. Um, they're just cute and they're charming. And, you know, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Um, I'm sure, you know, Ryan Reynolds was like, well, I had to concede the th the, the crown one of these days. Dude, did you hear uh, what he did? No, what? He and um, he and Wolverine. Oh, Hugh Jackman, yes? Yes, thank you. He and Wolverine, thank you, Hugh Jackman. He and Wolverine apparently sent a message out on social media that said, because they had both been Sexiest Man Alive recently and they sent out a message to john legend that said people gets it right 99 percent of the time <laughs> um, speaking of wolverine i would just like to everyone know that yes the new uh, uh background image for my twitter page is indeed myself in front of the x-men um and yes i have been mistaken for hugh jackman um once like now, in, now, at, hotel, at a Halloween party dressed as Wolverine. You saw the mansion, right? Yes, that that is up in Toronto. I, I thought it was like outside. It's really right, you know, on a hill overlooking the city. Um, <laughs> Vicky, you have uh, enjoyed and slightly mocked me when I went out to visit um, uh, Snoqualmie Falls out in uh, <laughs> Washington State when I was walking around. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like walking into Twin Peaks, right? You're walking into this place. Yes, your little weird Just, Twin yeah. Peaks vacation. 
right? So you're used to seeing a place on a screen and then you arrive and you're there and it exists in three dimensions and you are walking around this place um, that you're used to seeing only in this fictional context. And it's for, for a brief moment, it's like your mind realizes the fiction is real. It's not, but you know, yeah, um, yeah. for Mrs. Campaign Spot and myself, we walked into Casa Loma, which is, you know, it's a, it's a somewhat pricey, but a really cool uh, mansion built in the early 1900s. Uh, by this guy who had more money than God. For and you those walk- of us who are not Marvel geeks, yes. Um, whose mansion was this? Okay, so it so uh, the in, in fiction or in reality? Uh, in fiction first. Okay. Yeah, Professor Charles Xavier, aka Professor X, leader of the X Men, who uh, runs a school for mutants, people who are okay. born strange powers. Uh, they are fe- generally feared and hated by society in most versions of the X-Men. So is created his mansion school. where this school is? So his man, yes, it's it's the idea of it's like this private boarding school somewhere up yes, in West. Yes, Western. okay, okay. In reality, this, you know, uh, mansion, the, the guy re- went bankrupt. Eventually, the city took it over, and it's now this mu- you know vast museum. And it's it, it, it that's where they filmed uh, certainly a lot of the first movie. I, I got conflicting information about whether they filmed the sequels. Casa Loma, which is the name of this place, says they filmed all the sequels there. And Mickey, you walk in there and you're it's it's you're there. You're you're waiting to see people. I'm sure people go there in full cosplay. Um, and I you know my my Facebook page is full of all these pictures. It it's you know it was cool. Um, and even if you don't care about you know comic books and movies and all that kind of stuff, it's also a very cool site. But uh, yes, I pose like Wolverine in a few places. That is uh, fantastic. That is fantastic. You know, I've given a great deal of thought about traveling um, to where Downton Abbey is filmed for the exact same reason. I, I imagine because also like you know, again, is it you know is it cool to see? Is it cool to take the selfies and all that stuff? Yeah, but I think it's just that that moment where you realize. You know, mm-hmm. Yes, on the one hand, you know it's still fiction. But you're stepping where the characters did. You're yes. seeing it, you know, it, it generally, a lot of these cases, it does look the same. In a couple of places, you know, so for each room we were in, I was frantically searching on the internet and I was showing Mrs. Campaign's spot. It, we're in the stables. Remember Wolverine? They're there, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they're in the hallways. And I'm, I'm like, we're, we're, we're matching up exactly where they are. Um, and, you know, some people might say, God, you need to get a life. But this is, you know. Uh, One, I think it's adorable that the two of you all dorked out together. Yes. That is so uh, cute. And again, it sounds like you both really, really enjoyed it. It does sound like something that would be an interesting visit if you wanted to go to the third world country that is Canada. <laughs> I I know you had a terrible experience there. I've had a great time on both visits. So, you know, I, I next next time I'll go with my you. previous I'll, visits didn't register anything like what happened last year. Um, So I don't know. But like I don't I didn't really have much of an opinion previously mm-hmm. other than eh. But now I'm yeah, obviously now firmly Generally, in the anti-Canada. Cleaner <laughs> and, and more po- cleaner, more polite New York. Uh, it seemed like the. You know. But uh, all right, so here's the thing. So uh, it is the, that was the second geek moment uh, I was able to share with the wife. The other one she came just last night um, on Disney Plus, the new uh, challenger to Netflix put out by the Disney Corporation, which is uh, the official sponsor of your children's uh, childhood, um, <laughs> and. I found Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, uh, which was the 1980s Spider-Man Saturday morning cartoon, which featured Iceman, one of the X-Men to continue the themes, and Firestar, who my wife in her younger years, like that, this was her, you know, favorite character, this, you know, fire-based okay. superhero who, uh, I'm not saying I've gone out and gotten her the costume, uh, I'm just saying <laughs> about it. 
But anyway, so Disney Plus has, in addition to all the Marvel stuff, in addition to, yeah, has all all kinds of Marvel stuff going back decades, and uh, uh, similar with Star Wars. So last night, oh, by the way, here's the other thing for all the listeners. There are some people who listen to our podcast who I've never had the chance to meet, Mickey. A couple people you know both of us um, who will periodically see myself and the missus and the kids. Mm-hmm. The kids don't know that we have Disney Plus yet. At some point, I will let them know. But this means that I watched Mandalorian last night with them, without them. And so the question—I don't know if I—they'll—they'll they'll be okay with that. So if oh, wait, you're listening to this podcast, a good parent or a terrible parent? Why? Do I, I needed to see if it was okay for them, Mickey. But it's, it's just so like testing the Halloween. You want to watch? Um, I was going to say, it's just like testing the Halloween candy to make sure that it's safe, you know? Oh, my God. This is a parental responsibility. But anyway, so if you happen to know me and you happen to know my kids, particular listeners, don't tell them that <laughs> you heard yes, me talk about Yes, they don't about- know because Jim is busy getting caught up as one of our very dear friends, uh, Bruce, better known as Gay Patriot, said last night, be right back watching all of the Disney programming since 19. 19- 1954. Right. This all of a sudden, you know, but now it means you don't need to have any of the Marvel movies on DVD. And all that. So again, um, you know, but I, th- and I think it was, I think it was like, was it 70 bucks a year or something? It's not, it was not crazy expensive. You come down to it, it's like five. Look, you Avengers people are like, this is nothing. Yeah. Because this is, you know, we have all the Marvel movies at our fingertips. And, and really they're going to have all the TV shows. Yeah. I think so, that the other side of it is there's a big sell for parents. Yeah. I don't understand what's happening at your house, considering, like, isn't Disney supposed to be what you let your kids watch? Um, well, is, I only learned that we had, that uh, that uh, the missus had purchased Disney Plus after the kids had gone to bed. Um, oh. so, like, so was I willing to wait until <laughs> they were around some evening to watch the show? Or was it better that I watch it ahead of time to make sure that it's not too, yeah. And again, it's it's Star Wars. It's not in case you're wondering. There are there are occasional monsters and all that kind of stuff, but nothing too intense for my guys. Um, I like Mandalorian. It it is very much this Star Wars western. It is it is Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name um, in a grit and gritty you know world um, surrounded by you know uh, you know uh, other bounty hunters and gangsters and factions and you know all that kind of stuff. So. Um, in this, does this fit into any of the other storyline, or is this one of those Star Wars a story thing? So it is the first one they've done that is supposed to be set in between the original trilogy, ending with Return of the Jedi, and what we could now call the Disney sequel, you know, uh, sequel trilogy uh, that began with The Force Awakens. Okay. Uh, so the the Empire has technically fallen, but there are Darth Vader's dead, Emperor's dead, but clearly there are still Imperial factions running around. Um, if the, the good guys have not yet established control over the galaxy, it's kind of this, you know, and like and truly these... the wild, wild west. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's clear and, and clearly meant to be a situation. We're, we're going to learn that the Mandalorian who, who, by the way, doesn't have, like when I say Clint Eastwood, man with no name, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue and you can't see his face. So he very much is this cool, quiet guy who's just trying to make an honest living by, you know, co- collecting people who are, uh, who are wanted. And, you know, he's, um, you know, to the extent you can evaluate the acting in which you don't see the guy doesn't have a lot of dialogue and you never see it. <laughs> um, it's got a great, you know, kind of moody atmosphere. And, the, you know, at some point this guy is going to be in some situation where he's asked to do something wrong. We occasionally get little glimpses of a flashback of a traumatic uh, uh, childhood 
uh, presumably during one of the Star Wars, you know, periods and stuff. But by and large, this is a guy who's, uh, you you know, is going to have a heart of gold. You know, at some point he's going to be a good, you know, proven to be a good guy because we're not watching this show <laughs> to watch it to watch him be a bad guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Epstein kill himself. Um, and, <laughs> now, question. So this is not a movie. This is a series. This is a TV show, and it's okay. I, that's my about, bad because I legitimately, for whatever reason, thought that was a full feature length film they were releasing on Disney Plus, not a, not a series. <laughs> no, and in fact, if there's anything that I wouldn't even say it's bad, but it feels weird. The episode is about 40 minutes long, and it ends on you know kind of a, a the classic you know uh, streaming show ends on a big revelation. Um, but by and large, uh, you know, I, I assume they're going to come out weekly. And so I guess if anything is, if, if anything is wrong with Disney plus a couple of people had problems installing it and downloading it and all that kind of stuff. But by last evening, it seemed like the complaints had kind of died down. Um, but by and large, it's that they launched it with the Mandalorian and otherwise it's just the other, you know, Disney stuff that most people had either on their DVDs or, uh, Netflix or, or other stuff like that. So, you know, the, the Marvel uh, superhero shows, they all sound really exciting. Loki, Falcon and the, the uh, Winter Soldier, WandaVision, all, it sounds great, but uh, not going to be here for a while. And so it'd be interesting to see whether at some point, you know, Disney Plus subscribers say, okay, give us some more new material here, because otherwise this is all stuff I could get elsewhere. But uh, Well, and that and that is the question is how long... Like, is Disney going to pull, at what point, I guess, is Disney pulling yeah. all of their... Uh, bit by bit, it looks like they're, yeah. Um, the, the, this I don't is see the end how they're willing broker. to give up those kind of royalty revenues yeah. until they re- until Disney Plus is profitable. Yeah, one by one, you saw the Marvel shows disappearing from Netflix. And I think that's, you know, I think the long-term prospect is everything Disney does will eventually disappear from other... And you kind of wonder though, at some point whether like again I realize I, I'm still in DVDs. I know everybody switched over to Blu-rays years ago. Um, I wonder if at some point they start not doing Blu-ray because at that point, you know, because the other thing is you know, if you have, if through a subscription service, they could you know at some point if the subscription like if, if once you have that Blu-ray as long as you have a functioning Blu-ray player, you have that movie forever. Right. The streaming services that you purchase it from, what happens to it? Goes into the mist if you drop your subscription? Exactly. So that's, you know, their, uh, the subscription model is much more profitable because, you you know, as long as you want to have that, you need to subscribe forever. Whereas, you know, know, whereas when they sell you something, that's the last dollar they make off of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like that. Yeah, they've definitely figured this out quickly. Yeah. And I saw someone actually listed out... (laughs) all the different monthly fees that they saw themselves currently paying or could be futuristically paying um, for all the different streaming services. And then said, wait a minute, wasn't this supposed to save us money? Because, (laughs) you know, now you're looking at their 10 different streaming services and they all want anywhere from eight to $12 a month. So you're talking about, you know, roughly, you know, at least a hundred dollars a month in streaming services. Right now. And you still have to pay for internet. And that's the key thing there. Is like I'm looking at mine now because I have a lot of streaming services and I have a lot of cable services. I don't need all of them, but at the same time, I'm not sure that I want to bother with all of the excessive streaming whenever now it's starting to look more expensive than my excessive cable. Yeah, we are right now in the golden age for consumers mm-hmm. uh, because there's you know, and also the golden age for producers. If you've ever wanted a show produced, there's never been more venues 
to get a show to an audience. It's probably also very tough to create, uh, uh, you know, to, to reach, to find that audience because the audience has more options than ever before. Oh, by the way, this very much applies to book publishing as well. Between Two Scorpions, still available at Amazon um, for anyone. And, and book two, but did, Mickey, did I send you the draft of book two? Uh, no, not yet. I'm a bad person. All right, I will do that. Book two's on the way, folks. Yay! Uh, that's our that's our commercial message for for this episode. That is fantastic. Um, and again, that is available on Amazon. Between two scorpions, a paperback dangerous e-book. click novel. There you go. Um, but so my suspicion at some point, maybe a year from now, two years from now, probably by five years from now, there will be a calling that, that not all of these streaming services are going to survive. Right. Um, and that at some point, you know, they're just you, know, you you'll hit that ceiling of consumer spending and people will say, you know what, I'll do Amazon Prime because I like the shipping fees cost, but I'm not going to do Netflix. It doesn't have the stuff that I used to or, or you know, maybe Disney Plus will flop, although I think their ownership of Childhood of America uh, will probably keep them going. Um, I think I Disney Plus survives around or Hulu or any of these, you know, yeah. I think, I think that Disney Plus survives on Kitty Program and here's why. I think that parents are a lot more comfortable knowing that their child is sitting down and watching Disney programming for children versus watching like Nickelodeon or some of the other things that tend to be a little more coarse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Uh, so while initially I think you'll probably have a lot of these Avengers people coming on um, and buying it and they'll probably stay with it just because they'll always have access to their movies. Once they get them, you think, you know, it's rare, you know, people are until the culling happens, as you said. Um, but I do think that parents will use the service because, I mean, think about how many times those kids watch Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, my oh God. yeah. Parents, you know this. You know that whatever Disney movie just came out, you have to watch it until you literally can't stand it anymore. And oh, you yeah. Have to, you know, and the other thing is, like, how do parents do it now? When when my stepson was younger, we used DVDs. And so I'm like, how do you hide the streaming from the children? Like, no, we can't watch that one more time. Yeah. Because I would say like, oh, I can't find the DVD. Let's watch another one. The uh, uh, the ingenious of the creators of Frozen was to take the phrase that most accurately represents how parents feel about that particular movie and <laughs> turn it into the chorus for that song. Let it go. Let it go. Why won't you stop singing that song? Uh, that song was everywhere. And again, you know how children are about this. So I think that once once parents grasp that, like, oh, gosh, we can watch literally every Disney movie we ever wanted right here at our fingertips. That's where the money is. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, the, Disney will plus will probably survive some of these other uh, streaming services will meet their demise. And I think the lesson from this Mickey is that um, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> I would agree that that is also the lesson here. Um, but speaking of killing, <laughs> Mickey, have you had any chicken sandwiches that are worth killing somebody over lately? That is so perfect. That is so perfect because that was exactly where I was going next. And, and of course, we are talking about the now infamous Popeye's chicken sandwich, the classic sandwich that they brought in on September that was supposed to be here for a three-month run promotionally only and was so popular that they ran out of their three-month supply in two weeks. So we all waited anxiously for them to return, and they did on November 3rd, a Sunday, as a, you know, obvious thumbing the nose at Chick-fil-A, the number one chicken 
sandwich fast food place in the country, world, whatever, wherever they are. And um, also known as, you know, hate chicken. So <laughs> just like everyone else, I had been anxiously awaiting the return of this Popeye sandwich that had people going crazy. When I say crazy, as Jen mentioned early um, in the segment, in Oxon Hill, Maryland, someone actually got stabbed for cutting in line, like stabbed to death mm-hmm. for cutting in line for, at Popeye's for the sandwich. This has been a very big deal up in this area, particularly on local news, because it's, you know, one, obviously local news loves violent crime. Two, this is a great story. We're watching it. Uh, we're sitting on the couch with the missus and she, you know, here's, you know, and uh, stabbing at a, you know, Popeye's over a chicken sandwich, you know, and my wife, you know, who I should point out is pescatarian. So she doesn't actually eat chicken sandwiches. Is like, uh, why on any, why on earth would anyone do that? Kill someone over a sandwich? I'm like, honey, it's, it's a pretty good sandwich. <laughs> I mean, maybe not enough to kill it, but, but maybe jab a little. Um, well, and did you hear the other story of apparently there was a confrontation between a Popeye's employee and a customer, which resulted in the employee throwing the customer out and they're in the parking lot and he picked the customer up and body slammed them. Yeah, and uh, don't do that. But that, that's, you know, but so, so Mickey, having you, you actually tried the infamous, apparently cocaine-laden sandwich, um, which is the best way to explain why people are, are treating, it's Soylent Green, practically. Um, the things I do for you people. Well, first of all, um, did anyone try to kill you at the process of obtaining this sandwich? Well, there you go. I actually, you know, risking my life for this show, I decided to go and make an effort to get one of each, the original and the spicy chicken sandwiches, since they have returned. And my mission was successful in that I was able to obtain those sandwiches. However, Jim, oh my goodness. The experience is this. You know, they're up against Chick-fil-A. And I think I've told you before that Chick-fil-A has, they're not just good because of their chicken. They're good because of the efficiency of their drive through Mm. Those people should run all the logistics at every airport. <laughs> I Probably, can look yeah. and see that there are 10 cars ahead of me in line at Chick-fil-A and know that I will have my food in less time than if there was one car ahead of me at McDonald's or Wendy's or one of those other places. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and because of the crowds you get at Chick-fil-A, it always seems like it'd be a well-oiled machine. Uh, despite the pressures of serving a lot of people in a short window of time, uh, every time I've ever been there, Mickey, the, the staff is warm and friendly and polite. Um, and we're talking teenagers who, who, you right. know, we've all had, you know, the McDonald's employee who's kind of surly or slow moving or whatever. And there's just this sense of what one of the sense of professionalism in every Chick-fil-A I've ever been to. And the second weird thing, Mickey, is that, um, is it, you know, is it is it good sandwich? Sure. Has anyone ever killed anyone over a a chick, over a, over a homophobia chicken special? No, they have <laughs> not. Um, but there's every time you feel like you're always hearing stories about this Chick Fil A uh, employee stopped a robbery at the bank next door, or this you know uh, this woman needed a kidney, so Chick Fil A gave her a special. <laughs> you know, like yeah, Chick Fil A like it seems like they do make an effort to truly develop their their employees as humans as mm-hmm. well as you know employees um i do love that they say you know thank you for letting us serve you i like when i pull up and they you know the woman who's taken my order and already taken my check someone else says here mickey here's your receipt 
Another person says, hi, Mickey, thanks for coming. Here's your order. And guess what, Jim? Hmm? It's always right. Bam. These guys bring out the absolute best in themselves, 24-6. And now let me tell you about what happened when I went to Popeye's. Okay. So I drove by the Popeye's, and I realized there was only one car at the speaker, one car behind that, and I was able to slide into the next position. I felt like I had just won the lottery, considering, again, <laughs> how, of course, you know, people have been stabbing each other and going crazy over this chicken sandwich. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to slide in here, and I'm going to actually be able to grab these and do this for the show. So I'm all psyched. I get in there, and I sit, and I wait. And I realize that I sat and waited probably five minutes before I even got to the speaker. Really? That's then, a long time for, you know. In uh, total, it was a total of around 17 minutes from the time I pulled up to the time I pulled away with my correct order. Because once I got to the window, um, there w I had ordered, you know, a combination or whatever. And I said, you know, large Diet Coke. And she was like, large fries. And I'm like, sure. And I don't really care because I don't eat the fries. So I'm like, whatever. And so she hands them over and I've got the two sandwiches and this, and I look and I realize like it's a small fry and a small drink. And I don't really care except for like I paid for it, but then I pick up the drink and take a sip and it's real soda. Like it's not diet soda. And so I then have to be like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a brat here. I'm like, but I think this is real Coke hand it back to her oh yeah I'm sorry I didn't realize that was diet I'm like and I'm fairly certain that I paid for a large that was also accurate I she then hands me out a big large thing a large fry which of course I end up tossing because I didn't really care about the fries anyway that wasn't the point but I did get my diet coke and again this all took place in approximately 17 minutes from the time I pulled in to the time I finally got that right I know that the people behind me in line hated me because they had to see things like coming in my window then going back out my window <laughs> But so I pull out and I, you know, I, I leave. I'm like, all right, whatever. We get home. I cut the sandwiches in half because this is my goal is to try each of them so I can give you guys a fair estimate. And I start out with the classic chicken sandwich. I have had the Chick-fil-A classic chicken sandwich, I don't know, a handful of times in my life. It's not one of my favorite things there because, you know, I don't normally eat bread either. This, again, the things I do for you people. So. I get the sandwich. I cut it open. The first thing I realize is it's very heavily breaded, like super crispy breaded, but very heavily breaded. Mm -hmm. I then took a bite of it, and oh, my God, Jim, it had so much mayo on it, like a ridiculous amount of mayo. And I found that the chicken breast was not a lot of chicken and a whole lot of breading. Mm. And so I ultimately only took two bites of the classic before giving up on it entirely. Then I went to the spicy because I was like, well, that'll probably be better because it's spicy. And, you know, me, I prefer spicy things. And it was better. Okay. However, it's the same Chick-fil-A or chicken filet sandwich that um, they use for the original. So, again, it's super bready. Like, there's just nothing but tons of crust on it. Not a lot of chicken to it. And there's a ramelot on it that isn't bad, but it's hard to eat because there's not much chicken on it. Mm. I was incredibly disappointed in this. And obviously, like, clearly, I believe that Chick-fil-A now has the better sandwich. 
But based on my experience, I think that Chick-fil-A just whoops their ass from start to finish. And I think that they should stop trying to compete with Chick-fil-A and just go back to being, you know, Popeyes. Well, look, what I was going to say, anybody in marketing will tell you, once you've got people murdering each other over association, over access to your product, you know you've got something that, you know, that looks like a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, first of all, on the observation about the service, look, uh, you, you've had your share of, of uh, not so great service oriented jobs in the past. I worked at a yogurt store. I worked at a checkout cashier at, uh, at Food Town. Service industry jobs are tough. So, so on the mm-hmm. one hand, you want to have a certain amount of sympathy. On the other hand, the fact that Chick-fil-A can do it so well. And so many people walk away from their experience of having a, you know, like, wow, that's a really great place, indicates it can be done well, right? So even with the sympathy of it took them a long time to prepare it, and they brought the wrong kind of food and all that kind of stuff, like, again, some places get the order right almost every time, and it doesn't seem, you know, that sets the bar for everybody else. So, you know, I'm sure everybody at Popeye's is doing their best with the demand that they have, but clearly Chick-fil-A figured out how to instill this great sense of professionalism in everybody there. The yeah, second- and again, I, and maybe it does come down to the fact that they're just not trained to handle this kind of volume, or maybe they're not trained, like, I mean, again, as we've discussed ad nauseum before, the Chick-fil-A just has very special people who work there. I don't mm-hmm. understand it. It just is. I could never yeah, probably... I don't know whether, it. you know, it means they attract those people? Who, yeah, who I don't think that I would make and- the checklist to work at Chick-fil-A. Like, I feel yeah. like I am not nice enough. <laughs> to work there like not yeah even. yeah I, I was trying to figure out how long i should wait before agreeing but uh, <laughs> uh wait but, as you know, long as you like mr garrity i'm just letting you know i know who i am you, you've I seen know. how i deal with phone solicitors so yeah i am not meant for i'm not built for customer service anymore um the second thing uh worth noting there is that you know even the best food you're at the proportion of a sandwich matters a great deal right too much bread, it's doughy. Too little bread, and the thing starts sliding, uh, sliding out. Um, the amount of mayonnaise and how, how intense that flavor is. Is there lettuce and tomato? Everything got to come together in just the right proportions, or else even the best ingredients, it's just not going to be a satisfactory sandwich. And it sounds like that, you know, is it okay, Are they all uniformly the same size chicken breast, do you think? Or you just got a slightly smaller one, or? It's not that it was small, Jim. It's that it looked huge, but when you bit into it, there was very little chicken actually inside all that batter. Mm, okay, that's yes. Breading again. Breading is supposed to be this little outside coating. It's not right. supposed to be, you know, like like uh, uh, exploring the Earth's crust, getting down to the mantle. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the, it's more like a batter sandwich. Uh, Boy, that that that's not appetite. You know, nobody's no, gonna say, you know, Popeyes do extra spicy batter sandwich. <laughs> exactly, that is what it tasted like to me. That was my take on it. And again, I know that people have been like, oh, it's really good. It's better than Chick Fil A. I'm like, those people are entitled to their opinion. I mean, they're clearly wrong. Um, but they're entitled to think that. Yeah. They're just wrong. From your assessment, Mickey, it sounds like you said Popeye. They, they should get away from the hype. Do what you do best. And when it comes to trying to go toe-to-toe with Chick-fil-A, just hang it up the way Jeffrey Epstein's clients hung him up. <laughs> I knew it was coming. It had to be coming. Um, real quick, I do want to hit on this because I know we're running up against it a little bit on our time frame here. Um, but I did want to tell our listeners about something I came across that I am so pleased with. Um, Arsenio Hall, yes, that Arsenio Hall has done a recent stand up. It is on Netflix. It is 
fantastic. And I mean, epically fantastic. It is old school, funny comedy, like no holds barred, no PC. Everyone is a target and everyone who watches will feel included and as though you had a good time. I cannot recommend it enough. Also on Netflix right now, Eddie Murphy has Dolomite, has a Dolomite movie, which is called My Name is Dolomite. And it is the true story of the man who created the Dolomite character and the Dolomite movies and everything behind it. It is fantastic. I could not recommend those highly enough. And of course, these are both coming out leading into they're bringing, they're doing a Coming to America sequel. Oh, are they? Okay, because I was about to observe, Arsenio Hall has one of the odder careers you will find in comedy and, and Hollywood because he's debut, he appears on most people's radar screen as Eddie Murphy's sidekick in Coming to America. I think most people really uh, enjoyed that movie. Arsenio Hall is very funny. The, the reaction of him spitting out the drink still gets shows up as a gift. And you think, oh, okay, this guy's going to be in, comp- in, in movies for a long time. Shortly thereafter, he gets the talk show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a talk show that obviously was seen as the daring alternative to uh, what was probably then Carson and Letterman and Leno and all that kind of stuff. I don't even he, think Leno had a show at that point. Wasn't uh, it yeah. Letterman and Carson probably? Um, and he is this, you know, instantly becomes the the hip, cool uh, one. Bill Clinton famously playing the saxophone on the uh, on you know back in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could argue, I mean, you talk about a guy who who was the cultural zeitgeist of that moment, uh, you know, about who, who was, you know, that early nineties into the, you know, uh, to, to mid to late nineties was the Arsenio Hall era show ends. I don't want to say he kind of disappears, but you didn't see him for a while. Um, then the last time I saw him popping up was on the TV show version of the Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker movie. Oh, Russia, okay. Right. And so he, he's playing the Chris Tucker character. Now, Arsenio Hall, still a funny performer. He's bringing it. It's got Sammo Hung, as somebody famously said. He, you know, he was off. He was in a bunch of Jackie Chan's movies, but Sammo Hung is not Jackie Chan. He looks like he looks like the chef. Um, he's, you know, he does not, or a car mechanic, or something like that. Uh, perfectly fine, you know, uh, hour-long comedy action show on CBS. And then Arsenio Hall kind of disappears again, uh, and then he popped up a few years ago, and somebody observed. Mickey, this is a guy who has not aged since 1992. Oh, no. He hasn't aged at all. And I found out something Hmm? during this special that I did not know. Because I, unlike apparently millions of Americans who did, in fact, watch the show, I never really watched The Apprentice. I watched the first season, and that was it. And even that, I was, like, not addicted to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never watched again because I know, you know this, I'm not a big fan of the guy who was the host. And (laughs) um, the star of the show. Whatever happened but, to that guy? I don't know what happened to him, but I will tell you this. <laughs> he, he, he was such a failure, he left entertainment. <laughs> uh-huh. And Arsenio Hall won Celebrity Apprentice. Really? Right? I didn't know that. But again, I didn't watch the show, so how would yeah. I know this? But well, it also, felt like it, that was one of those things that they would have talked about. Yeah. It says yeah, something about the show. Apprentice. Yeah. We all remember Trump saying you're fired. Nobody remembers any of the contestants other than maybe yeah. Omarosa. For, yeah, you know, that is reasons. what it is, I guess. But yeah, Arsenio won. And mm-hmm. he discussed that in his stand-up. And like I said, it was, it's just really good to have real comedians. We talked about Dave Chappelle having his specials out and 
seeing Arsenio Hall's was really, really good. I actually watched another one. Um, gosh, I, I can't, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, and I feel really bad about that right now. His last name is Cole and I can't think of it right now. Cause I wasn't planning on talking about this, but he, um, he also has a new standup that is out right now that is also hilarious. And again, you know me, like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like things that aren't funny. Ha, huh, how's that? <laughs> Anything really, that's funny. You certainly don't like comedy that isn't funny. That isn't, right, I don't like comedy that isn't funny. Like, I'm really serious about that. I don't want to be taught something during my comedies. I, I, I Jim knows. Nope. The stand-up act didn't make you laugh, but you came out so much more socially aware. Yeah, nope, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. And these comedies made me laugh. They made me happy to be watching them. And, you know, like, it's important that we have this right now. You know, people on the left are often saying, at this time in our history. But what's really important right now at this time in our history is that free speech is still available and that people Mm. are still out there making fun of, you know, the people they want to make fun of, whoever that may be. Yeah, I mean, um, think about it, you know, at this time in our history, Mickey, when yes. millions upon millions of Americans are forced to live under a president they didn't vote for, um, <laughs> a circumstance that's never happened before in our history. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Every time they say it, I die. I, I can't help it. Like, it's just one of the funniest little phrases that they've come up with recently that I'm like, yes, at this time in our history, it's very important that these things happen. And I'm like, yeah, you know what's happening that's important right now is that comedians are coming back out and like they're fighting back. And I appreciate that so much and that I want to give them the support that, you know, at least telling our listeners and spreading the news that people should be out there watching these shows and giving them credit because it's not easy with cancel culture being all over them. And it's fantastic to see them fight back. No, and you could see a lot of comedians in, you know, in this culture get afraid, get afraid, get frightened mm-hmm. you know, and, and hold back on their edgier material. And, you know, they don't want to go out there and choke the way, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was choked by somebody else. <laughs> Ricky Gervais is another one that is constantly on social media. Yeah, I, I, it's almost surprising if you're if you're a comedian, like if you go out and you tell jokes that might offend somebody, but nobody goes on social media to rant about it. Does it exist? <laughs> you know, like you, you can continue your career wonderfully. So if I were a comedian, I'd be, you know, completely off. Uh, uh, um, one, one or two last points I want to jump in. Cause yeah, we're, we're going a little bit over, but you know, it's been a while. We've got a, yeah, Mickey I and I have a lot to cover. Um, Mickey, please explain to me why Hidden Valley Ranch, which I believe was a salad dressing. It turned into an apparel line at some point or. This is new, brand new launching this year for 2019 because i know you guys were all wanting it <laughs> hidden valley ranch has released its holiday line which includes ranch inspired snuggies blankets pillows and ugly sweaters so i go and look at this gym to see what it is they're hawking me that i need to have and what it is is a green fabric basically with snowflakes and christmas trees and then the hidden valley ranch logo and bottles of Hidden Valley Ranch on it as well. So think of it as like if you can imagine what wrapping paper would look like if you just randomly had a <laughs> bottle of Hidden Valley Ranch in there in the middle of it. I say, what you picture the wallpaper at the corporate headquarters of Hidden Valley Ranch Incorporated to, to look like. Um, Mickey, if at any point Hidden Valley Ranch was part of my clothing, it generally meant a stain. Well, and here's my question, Jim. 
I mean, it's kind of brilliant because Hidden Valley Ranch is getting you to buy their merch that they could be giving away, like, promotionally. Instead, they're going to charge you for it. Okay, but are they going to – is anybody actually buying this? Do I think that there are people who love Hidden Valley Ranch enough to buy it? Probably, but I bet more to the point there'll be someone who buys it as, like, a joke for other people, things yeah. of that nature. I don't know. You know hipsters like said, will ironically embrace this. Yeah, you know. I'm not certain there's a market for it, but then again, I'm not someone who would buy a Budweiser towel either. If Cam Newton were not injured, at some point he would come out in a full tailored suit full of the Hidden Valley Ranch logo. <laughs> yes. Just uh, <laughs> just spotlight that. <laughs> Last thing, we, we as we kind of touched on this about, you know, again, you and I, we try to do a pop culture podcast. You know, people know our political views. It'll creep in every now and then the same way people creeped into the, the cell of Jeffrey Epstein to kill him. And uh, but by and large, we try to just, you know, have a good time with this. I, I a lot of evenings, nothing's good on TV. I love to watch YouTube videos that are making, you know, generally film analysis or, or you know, uh, honest trailers makes me laugh. Uh, Cinema Wins talks about what's great about films instead of Cinema, Sin, Cinema Sins, which complains about them and plot holes and things that don't work and stuff like that. There was a guy who I used to watch who out of nowhere got offended by, I think it was Christina Hoff Summers or somebody, and he just like gave her this utterly snotty you know, response. And Mickey, I, I can't watch his YouTube videos anymore. And it's not, um, it's not like, it wasn't like a conscious boycott of, well, I can't believe you said that, I'm not gonna watch. It's just now whenever I click over and the YouTube channel pops up in my feed of, you know, you might like this, that snotty comment pops into my head. I'm like, eh, I don't feel like watching that. And I have had the same problem, or a similar problem, I should say, with um, queer eye for the straight guy or whatever they're calling right. themselves these days. Um, but what does that tell you? Like, what does it make you feel that I, now you can't yeah. watch it the same way and yeah, enjoy and it? it? Like, yeah. and that I mean, we've talked about this many times that as you know, right leaning people, we have for the most part become immune to what people say and do. But it doesn't even have to be political. Sometimes it's just a comment that they've made that you see them as the person that they are and not the character that they play. Yeah. You know, uh, you and I have talked about, you know, celebrities and people in Hollywood making political statements. And it, that's, you know, the disagreement, like, again, if you're conservative and you say, well, I'm not going to watch anything by somebody I disagree with, you know, you, you have to watch just the Adam Baldwin scenes in Firefly. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you, you just, Right, I mean, like you, you know, and and you look for one or two other films here and there, and I guess like, you, you know, get to watch Clint Eastwood films. Uh, yeah, Mel Gibson when he did Vince and Vince Vaughn in that crime drama, you know, like. You, so, Why do we have to take Mel Gibson? Yeah, good point. You know, well, old old Mel Gibson, interregnum, uh, Mel Gibson. I'm just not anyway. sure I want to take him at all. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Um, but so that you about his politics. Yeah, but I guess it was just the the sheer, you know, we, we, we try to keep it clean here, uh, language-wise, on this this podcast, but cover your ears if you have young listeners, folks. There was just the sheer asshole-ishness of this comment on Twitter um, that just Someone's seems... just being a dick for no reason. Uh, kinda, right? I mean, I, I knew the guy was left of center, and it's fine, and every once in a while it would get into his commentary where he's dissecting a film or reviewing it. Like, well, fine. I, it's I don't not, know. I'm sometimes mean to people on Twitter, so... And Twitter, can, yeah. Twitter does like, not bring out the best in people. Fine. No, but, I'm not... I don't try to be mean to people, but sometimes they say things or they come at you and say something or you feel... And this yeah. is the really bad part about social media. 
is where you feel like for some reason you've been personally attacked. It's like a subtweet went out and you see it and you're like, they're talking about me and they're not talking about you, but like, we're so damn narcissistic. That's like the first thought that we have is like, Oh my God, are they talking about me? And they're talking about me. Well, you know what? Screw them. And I really do think that that develops in a, a, I mean, just horrible habits. Um, I personally leaned back, as you know, quite a bit from social media, just because I think it's better for your mental health to like stay in check with some of that thing and whatnot. Um, but I still love Twitter. I love it. It's where the mean kids hang out. Fine. I don't care. I want to hang out with the mean kids then. Mm. Um, it's it's where news is developing. It's where you're going to hear about stuff, whether it's a bombing somewhere or mm-hmm. somebody resigning, somebody's announcing they're running for whatever. You know, like the, news is constantly being generated there, so you kind of have to pay attention to it if you noticed it. But it, it just was th- this was just revealing that it was a guy whose views and, and opinions and, and thoughts on film stuff separate from politics struck me as really interesting and enjoyable and because his political it wasn't really the disagreement it was the, it was the way he treated somebody it was so mm. bad same way that like um michael weatherby the star of bull had that you know the the eliza dishku uh sexual harassment suit really made him look like a jerk um and i i you know was not a big fan i was uh, okay with the show before and i just haven't been interested in it in part because you <laughs> see that face and you're like oh it's that guy you know you are such a good person. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure at some point, uh, 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 th- th- there's probably some celebrity I like who's either been named in some lawsuit or yeah, like again, they're they're celebrities. We're not expecting them to be, you know. Well, you know, your your favorite uh, Kim Kardashian may mm-hmm. have become a celebrity over some rather infamous circumstances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you know, we. We, we, some of this stuff gets priced in, but eventually you come across something and it's just like, you know, so, you know, lesson kids, don't, don't be an asshole. That's the, <laughs> well, I would tend to agree. And, the, and, 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 you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show is that everyone is always welcome to listen. We want everyone to feel comfortable and we're not going to make you feel like an idiot, especially, you know, if you're on the right, um, the left, I can't help you. That's your fault. No, but, oh, but um, if you're on the left and you enjoy the show, great. And, you know, perfect. like, yeah, but we also don't people, try to, yeah. we don't talk politics here for a reason. We don't want to. Huh. Um, however, it has, you know, in many ways seeped into a lot of forms and, and frames of our culture. And I think that it would be good for people to realize that we are much more alike than we are different. Um, and it's, it's kind of silly sometimes how it turns into this, but at the same time, I'm there with you only on one issue. It's so weird to me that it's happened. Um, I may have even talked about this on the show before, but last, not this current season, but the last season of the new Queer Eye for the Straight Guy that was on Netflix, which I love the first season of. It was like the second show in, they had a woman on there who was a member of the NRA, and just the way he spoke to her and phrased it, it was like she had to denounce mm. her gun ownership before they could, you know, agree that we could be friends kind of thing. It, you know. And again, like she kind of, you know, worked her way through it and it wasn't, you know, whatever. They had a great time and they, you know, whatever. I couldn't watch it anymore because I was like, see, this is the problem. Like you shouldn't have to like disavow your own personal beliefs. So that others find you acceptable and it doesn't matter what those personal beliefs are, right, left or center, you shouldn't have to explain yourself. Yeah. And 
you know, this is not quite shut up and dribble. You know, celebrities have no right to express their views oh, on no, no, political no, no, matters. No, right? no. It's just a recognition that there's going to be a consequence and that I think a lot of us don't automatically have this. You may not expect it because, you know, like, I mean, obviously, legitimately, I had previously not missed an episode of any of the Queer Eye for the Straight Guys. And mm. that was the old, the new, anything. I mean, I love that show. And so certainly I knew that their politics were not my politics prior to this particular yeah, episode. I can't believe the guys on Queer Eye for a Straight Guy aren't conservative. You know, like right. Yeah, yeah the that wasn't there. something that was the case. It was the way that he, they handled the situation and the way that she was treated. And I just thought, I don't know. Again, it was like you said, it left a bad taste on her mouth. And it's so unfortunate that it happened. But it happens to us on, you know, such a regular basis. For the most part, we tend to, like, almost turn it off, right? So it has to be fairly egregious to even register. I was going to say, is it, you know, again, is it possibly, like, the watching how you see somebody treat someone? Maybe that's where that threshold is, where that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the disagreement is there. But when you saw the, per- the way they treated the NRA member, um, yes. you know, that, that all of a sudden it turned into, mm, this is someone who's who's, you know, there's just a nastiness there. There's just a um, irrepressible hostility that manifests itself and a really a condescension, mm. a sense of like they were better than that person, a sense that they needed that person to acquiesce to their idea or like they legitimately didn't know if they could be friends. Yeah. And also again, a sense that like all of us encounter people we disagree with all day long in our lives. Right. It's the people like, who, you know, you know, again, if you, if you disagree, really, not even about politics, I mean, like people disagree about which football team they like. I mean, let's face it for 50 percent of the country, they don't even vote. Yeah. And right? I think and, that's yeah. really important to remember that when people try to, to make you believe that the world is reflected in our politics, that America is reflected in our politics, the most American thing ever is that half the population doesn't even vote at all. Yeah. Well, you know, so. Hey, you know well, what? We've take gone that for what it's worth, but I'm saying like, I'm not saying. Nikki, you better quiet there. Can I hear? Okay. Well, that's almost like it's a sign that the uh, episode is meant to come to an end. I am Jim Garrity. That is Mickey White. Uh, she is biased girl at biased girl on Twitter. I am at Jim Garrity. We have a Facebook page that we're not great about updating, but we will do so. Uh, And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. Thank you for listening. We really do enjoy doing this. We will, as usual, try to get on a regular schedule, but life gets in the way. We hope your lives are going well. And join us next time on The Jim and Mickey Show.